0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Fireside Chats. This is part three of three of my series with Mr. Don Kintner, where we discuss all things cities. In part three, Don and I dig into defining the terms of redlining, blockbusting, and racial steering, and how these practices were used in the 20th century to shape America's cities along racial lines. We also discuss how cities are, in Don's words, like bodies, and how a change in one part will create changes elsewhere in an urban area. If you've come from listening to parts one and two, I hope this final part wraps up all the ideas Don and I shared throughout this series. As always, be sure to show some love on the Fireside Chats Instagram at Fireside Chats Podcast, and be sure to check out The Roosevelt Group on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at The Roosevelt Group, as well as our website, which is www.roosevelt-group.org, where you can find articles by all of our members. I'm your host, Ward. And thank you for listening. Um, something I do want to touch on that we mentioned earlier that we said we were going to come back to is uh, redlining and blockbusting. Mm-hmm. So I knew what redlining was before, before we started this whole process, but I didn't know what blockbusting was. I'd never heard of that. Never heard of that. No. So, for our listeners, will you just define both of those terms?
1: Well, redlining—I mean, they're both related, yeah. Of course, but redlining—what what took place after they developed the um, Federal Housing Authority um, Home Loan Association—and
0: when did that happen?
1: In the fifties. Okay. Yeah, I think fifties, late fifties, early sixties. Uh, I'd have to look exact date, but. Um, once that developed into giving people home loans at a reduced rate and a thirty year mortgage, okay. Mm-hmm. Um but and again, uh those those loans were made for new houses mainly in the suburbs, mm-hmm. okay. And then uh because it's federal government, see it's the federal government that's guaranteeing these loans. Mm-hmm. So they're not they're not going to uh, allow loans to people if they're going to be Used in what they, an area they think is declining area, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So the federal government had to figure out where are the declining areas. And within those areas, we're not going to grant home loans. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they actually took a red marker. That's why they call it redlining. Mm-hmm. And uh, they started outlining uh, urban neighborhoods within those boundaries. They would not grant uh, any loans for uh, ficking, fixing up a house or for buying a house. Right. And unfortunately, because of racism and economic factors, both, you know, you have to parse, parse those out. You know, you have to decide how much of it was race and how much was economics. Um, But most of the red line neighborhoods, guess what kind of neighborhoods they were?
0: Majority black Americans.
1: Majority black or ethnic. Yeah. Hispanic or or neighborhoods in transition. Mm hmm. Neighbors that were turning from white to minority. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm from the south side of Chicago, so I saw it happen in real time. Mm -hmm. Um, In the 50s, most of the south side of Chicago was mostly white. And then in the 60s and 70s, it turned from majority white to almost exclusively black. Mm -hmm. Some of those neighborhoods on the south side of Chicago went from 95% white to 95% black in 10 years.
0: Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Quick changeover. Some
1: blocks turned over like over the weekend wow and it's related to both redlining and blockbusting so the redlining part was the homeowner loan association said we're not going to allow any loans in these neighborhoods they're still white but blacks are moving in close so blacks are moving they're transitioning
0: okay so when they when they would not give loans that attracted what demographic
1: well because if you can't get a loan to fix up your house then what's going to happen
0: then you, your house falls into disrepair.
1: It falls into disrepair. And the whole neighborhood looks looks shabby. Yeah. Okay? So, and then they, uh, they this has actually been documented. So, folks, I'm not making this up. You can look this up yourself. They took uh, black women and they had him walk down sidewalks in white neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And then they then the real estate, this is the blockbusting part, mm-hmm. uh, they knock on the door of the person and they'd say, hey, you know, um, are you do you want to sell your house? And at first they said no. And then they see black people walking down the sidewalk. And they scared people. They scared white people into thinking that, you know, their neighborhood's going to go downhill. Mm-hmm. And so some of those blocks on the south side of Chicago, they, I mean, they, they turned over almost overnight from white to black. Wow. I mean, you you look down the street over the weekend and almost every house had a for sale sign in front of it. I mean, that's how fast it took place. Yeah. I mean, you can read this. It's documented over and over. And not just in Chicago. That's the city I'm familiar with. Um, but in all all cities all over America.
0: So then that also would have um, pushed the urban sprawl. Oh, yeah. Because it would have moved those white populations further outside moved of the, the, the city. Moved to the suburbs. Yeah. Right. yeah. But they would have already been in suburbs, right? But just closer, more urban suburbs. Yeah. Okay. Or
1: yeah. Or also inner city neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, most most of the people that lived in my suburban neighborhood on the south side of Chicago came from the inner city of Chicago mm-hmm. because of the redlining and blockbusting. Mm-hmm. And
0: yeah. And now a term like inner f- city means it has a, a very racial meaning behind has it. Has a very racial meaning. Inner yeah. city.
1: You know, you th- immediately think of minorities or ghettos. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's what happened mm-hmm. and that's what caused a lot of the decline of our inner city neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, it's interesting, you know, we, you hear white people oftentimes talk about how blacks caused the, the neighborhood to go down. It wasn't the black people that caused the neighborhood to go down. It was the whites leaving. Yeah. I mean, we have, we have lots of stable integrated neighborhoods in Nashville, but you take neighborhoods like 12 South. And other neighbor in East Nashville, um, where blacks and whites live together comfortably. And, you know, black people in a neighborhood don't cause property values to go down. It's when people, it's the economics and people leave en masse
0: mm-hmm.
1: at, you know, in a, in a rapid rate. Mm-hmm. That creates a culture of fear. Yeah. And it's what's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think your neighborhood's going to go down, then are you more or less likely to put up a for sale sign at your house?
0: more likely more likely yeah
1: and what if everybody on your block thinks the same thing Mm -hmm. then it's going to cause the very thing that you feared so when did self-fulfilling prophecy
0: yeah when did
1: that's what caused the great depression it wasn't that the the banks failed is because people thought the banks were going to fail so they went and panicked and got all their money out and it caused the banks to fail
0: yeah yeah that's kind of like uh in macbeth Uh When he finds out he's going to be king, so he loses his mind and murders a bunch of people, and then he ends up being king, but he's miserable, and then he dies. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Self-fulfilling prophecy. That's Um, happened time and time again.
0: Yeah. So when did—I feel like redlining in particular is a term that's become so hot in the last few years, and especially since the Black Lives Matter movement back in 2020 is just something that I've heard about that I did not know about beforehand. So when did these kinds of— policies or efforts on on the side of the government or real estate agents become more publicly known and and acknowledged?
1: Well, you know, they were going on, of course, uh, primarily in the 60s and 70s. And now they're outlawed. I mean, now you you can't do that. You can't redline a neighborhood. But you still have racial steering going on. Yeah. What is that? Okay, racial steering would be um, I'm a white person. And you're a black person, right? So I, I and my wife and my white kids, we go, and we're looking to buy or rent an apartment, whatever, in in Bellmead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so uh, I go to the real estate agent. And he shows me a bunch of properties. He or she shows me a bunch of properties. You're a black person with a, a black kids and a black husband. You go to that same real estate agent. And rather than showing you a house in Meade, they show you something in West Nashville. Mm. Racial
0: steering—that's mm-hmm. illegal too, though.
1: It's illegal, but how can you know that it was done purposefully? Yeah. See, it's catching people, and they've actually done those housing audits. They did it on the west side of Chicago, where they actually caught people doing that and uh-huh. they busted them for it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and they've done it on other parts of the nation too, but wow. it's still hard to detect unless you, you know, are really astute. Mm-hmm. Um, because how do you, you know? I'm the real estate agent. I'm telling you, you're a black person. I'm telling you there's nothing available in Bell Mead. Mm -hmm. Unless you've done your homework, you're going to take me at my word. Yeah. And I'm going to say, well, the the closest house is in West Mead or is in West Nashville. So let's go over there and look. Mm -hmm. You know, and unless you know otherwise. Yeah. So, but yeah, they they do what's called housing audits. I don't think they're new as much anymore. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, um, that's illegal, also.
0: What is a housing audit?
1: Housing audit is where they send black people in um, to real. They send a white couple into the real estate agent, and they show them houses in white neighborhoods. But oh. Then they send a black couple into the same. Oh, so they're the like same testing. real estate agent. Ask for catch. a same house in that same neighborhood, and they show them house somewhere else. Okay. See, so that would so catch them. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. would catch them. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. It happened on the Austin neighborhood in the west side of Chicago. That's where they did a housing audit because mm-hmm. Austin was a changing neighborhood from white to black. Mm-hmm. So, um, a black person would come in and look for a house uh, in Austin, but they didn't, you know, they didn't want that neighborhood to change, even though it was starting to change. Mm-hmm. So they showed them in a different neighborhood. But then a white ne- uh, couple came in and they showed them house in the neighborhood they wanted.
0: Mm-hmm. So, do you think that the the cultural cultural shift around um, paying attention to these problems in housing audits where they're actually catching people in the act of of racially steering or trying to alter the makeup of a neighborhood do you think that that has resulted in a in a positive concrete visible uh, change in in neighborhoods
1: wow i mean i would hope that it's resulted in in at least more awareness uh-huh. Of of those issues,
0: yeah, or a change of culture, I guess.
1: Yeah, a change of culture and a and a more nuanced uh, effort in understanding that neighborhoods, that that the best neighborhoods, we have to we have to be mature in America. We have to mature and realize that the best neighborhoods are diverse neighborhoods, mm-hmm. and it's made up of all kinds of people, and all kinds of backgrounds, and all kinds of incomes, and that just because someone has a lower income than you doesn't mean they can't live in your neighborhood mm-hmm. you know we have such exclusive overall in America we have such exclusive zones where you have even in white neighborhoods you have you know uh, the million dollar houses but heaven forbid that you have a you that you be contaminated you know with a five hundred thousand dollar house in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And in the $500,000 neighborhood, heaven forbid that you be contaminated by a $300,000 house. I mean, you think of all, think of Cool Springs and think of all the exclusive neighborhoods and they're all one price point. Yeah. They're all one price point. So even within white or black culture, you have, you know, uh, segregating of, of economics, mm-hmm. segregating of socioeconomics. So we have to get beyond that. We have to understand that. The, the, some of the finest neighborhoods in America are diverse neighborhoods mm-hmm. where rich and poor can live together. Yeah. You and
0: know, I guess that all starts with affordable housing.
1: It all starts with affordable housing. Yeah. You can't have people with less means live in your neighborhood if they can't afford there. Mm-hmm. So maybe, let's see, maybe we could create uh, uh, apartment uh, in garages, uh, apartment garages. Um, sometimes they call them granny flats mm-hmm. or, or uh, something like that. that. What does that mean? Uh, granny flats. That's where your grandmother would live cheaply. Okay. They call them but, granny flats. What
0: do you mean apartments in garages?
1: Well, like, okay, so like in an urban neighborhood, uh-huh. oftentimes the garages are on the alley, like in oh. Germantown. Oh, I see what they you have mean. lots of have lots of garages on alleys yeah. in Germantown. Yeah. And, yeah. And especially in northern cities, that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. So you have... Uh, garages on the alley. They have some in this neighborhood. I went down the alley. They have some right here in this neighborhood. Um, And you can put apartments above a garage and make it affordable for your grandmother or for a low-income family. Mm -hmm. And yet they still live in the neighborhood, and they still participate in the social, you know, activities in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And they're not stigmatized. See, the problem we've done in America is we stigmatize the poor. And back in the 50s, created all the housing projects. That are still, uh, you know, part of our infrastructure in America. All the, all of the low-income housing, mm-hmm. and so that's where the poor, we put all the poor there. Yeah. And then the problems in those neighborhoods just fester, because yeah. it's not a mixed-income situation. And create prejudices, so, right? And so of all of the, all of the problems of the poor are just magnified because they're all crammed together in one place. Yeah. Without economic opportunity, and without a mixing, you know, of incomes, mm-hmm. so that's another issue that has plagued american cities.
0: Mm-hmm, absolutely.
1: Is the way we have housed the poor and the way we've treated the poor, which are usually minority, not all the time but you know to a great degree. Yeah. So multitude of, you know, and that's that's another whole issue of, of the the way we house and the way we treat the poor in our in our cities mm-hmm. and providing ample opportunities. So I hope our new mayor in Nashville addresses some of those inequities.
0: Mhm. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Is there anything that I didn't bring up that you want to talk about?
1: I think an important thing to leave with our listeners, I was going to say our viewers, our listeners, is that uh, the interdependent nature of these systems. Think of a human body. It's a good metaphor. And one part, if if your stomach's upset, that doesn't just affect your stomach. it You don't feel like going to work. You know, if you have a headache... Uh, that affects how you, you know, operate. So the same is true in our cities. The cities are like systems of a human body, and one mm-hmm. part affects the other. Mm-hmm. So when we make a change in one part, we have to be cognizant of how the ramifications of that. Um, and the prime example is just like gentrification. Um, that's good. It improves the neighborhood. It improves property values. But if it pushes out poor people that have lived there for decades, that's, that's not fair. And that's, that's, you know, that's a negative unintended consequence. Um, and we can think of environmentally the same thing. Okay. We're thinking about electric cars. Um, and we need to think about some renewable energy systems because we're not going to have any more oil for another million years. I'm not going to live that long. I don't know about you. (laughs) So until we get that decaying organic matter to create more oil, we're running close on empty, right? We're running close on empty. Ask any geologist, don't take my word for it, um, and when we run out of fo- fossil fuels, we're going to have to have something in place. Maybe electric cars isn't it because that has its own set of problems, mm-hmm. as was, you know, espoused by your guest a while ago. I appreciate that. But let's, we're going to have to get on something. We're going to have to find some way, you know. And maybe the answer is more compact living mm-hmm. where you don't have to depend on fuel as much. Maybe the best fuel is our walking feet, mm-hmm. you know, or our bicycling.
0: But if we're talking about the U.S. as a whole, the U.S. is so big.
1: It's so vast,
0: and that's and the Achilles heel. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's true. Cities are usually more um, liberal in their politics, right? Um, Generally, which yes. yeah, which I suppose would then assist in creating affordable housing and more viable putting putting money towards things like that that will help the social network of the city. Um, but how feasible do you think it is that all of these different cities in the U.S., from California to New York to, uh, to cities in the South, like Nashville or Atlanta or even smaller cities, um, how feasible do you think it is that they're all going to, or a, a lot of them are going to even have the kind of mindset shift to to change in that way or develop similarly where they're putting putting money towards affordable housing and transportation and and urbanizing prioritizing urbanization over suburbanization
1: i mean that's that's the complex nature of the problem because we live in a democracy Mm -hmm. and i'm glad we do Mm -hmm. but just like any system that has its downfalls um And that's one of the downfalls because we're individually minded Mm -hmm. and I'm most concerned about me and my. And as long as I have a nice house and close to good schools Mm -hmm. and I can get back and forth to my job. My, my, my. Yeah. Okay. How do we create a more collective mindset? I mean, that's ultimately, I guess, the question without instituting draconian measures by big government. I don't think we want that either. Mm -hmm. I don't think we want that either. But doggone, we have I mean, somebody's going to have to call some shots and somebody's going to have to say, okay, people, we're running out of fuel. But, you know, some people don't even believe that. Some people don't even believe in climate change. Yeah. I mean, you can bring all the... You can march all the geologists and all the environmentalists out on stage you want and some people still won't believe in climate change Mm -hmm. and some people still don't believe. And I guess until we run out of fuel and they can't put gas in their car, they won't believe that either. Yeah. I happen to believe, happen to believe in science. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> if you don't believe in science, then you probably want to turn this off right now. But <laughs> I happen to believe in science, and I'm going to believe in science over some kooky guy with a conspiracy theory, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to look to the science, and I hopefully care enough about my neighbor that I'm willing to sacrifice something so that all of our lives can be better if that means I have to move out of my beautiful two-acre plot on the south side of Nashville and move into a more compact neighborhood like Hillsborough Village or wherever, I hope I'm willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it means, you know, spending less time in my car, and I might actually find out I have more benefits because if I, see, right now I can't walk anywhere. I mean, I can walk up and down my neighborhood street for exercise, but I can't walk to a coffee shop. I can't walk anywhere to buy a loaf of bread. Um, But if I lived in Hillsborough Village, I could do all that. Even if I lived in your neighborhood, I could do that. Yeah. I mean,
0: it wouldn't be pleasant, but you could. Yeah.
1: Um, So I think we have to think beyond me and my and how you get people to do that. I mean... That's where you're going to have to bring in the philosophers and, yeah. you know.
0: It just comes down to the culture of, of yeah, the, the culture. place and yeah. the country. Yeah.
1: And the fact that we have such geographic and long distance, so that creates logistical issues. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that we can't do something about our cities within our cities, mm-hmm. you see, mm-hmm. uh, to create more compact living spaces and create more, creating greater likelihood of people using transit by increasing transit nodes and increasing the density I would really like to see a study once they get some of these transit nodes. I mean, they got the one in Green Hills already up and running. I'd like to see a study from year to year to see if transit picks up in those nodes. And, man, let's build more density around that. Mm-hmm. Um, increase the likelihood that people will be less likely to, to get in their car and drive downtown. And, hey, the bus comes every 20 minutes. Let me go catch that puppy. Yeah, You know, Um Hey, if, I, if if they still had that bus on Franklin Road that they used to have, I'd probably walk down there. It's just a quarter mile down to where the, the bus stop used to be. In I'd your pro-
0: neighborhood? Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Out there by Radnor Lake. There used yeah. to be a bus. We used to. Ha- hey, did you know that Nashville used to have the inner urban that went from Nashville, downtown Nashville, to downtown Franklin? And it went right along Franklin Road? Wow. So you could ride a train. Yeah. Imagine that. There
0: also that. Be, used to be a train from Nashville to Chattanooga. Yeah, you could take a train from Nashville to Sewanee, where I grew up, and now you have to drive 90 miles on the interstate.
1: They used to have be a train from Nashville to Chicago. Man, it stopped in, that in 1972 when I came to town. Um, so we got to get some of these things back. They're, they're talking about creating uh, Amtrak between now Chicago and Atlanta. Yeah, tra- traveling through Nashville. That would be amazing. I would love it.
0: I would love that.
1: I mean, that's that's doable. Yeah. So we've got some things that are doable. Um, I mean, we have the Music City Star uh, that What's goes that? to Lebanon. The, the, oh, the yeah, train. The train that goes to Lebanon. Yeah. But it's underutilized. Uh-huh. So the question on the table is, you know, people are saying, let's get rid of it. It's not utilized. No. Let's create transit nodes in Donaldson and mm-hmm. Hermitage and in Lebanon mm-hmm. where the train stops.
0: And increase people's awareness. So increase it people's awareness. I didn't know that existed till You didn't this even know week. that existed? Yeah. I yeah. learned about it literally like two days ago.
1: Wow. Yeah. See? So it, it's, you know.
0: And I've never been to Lebanon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, one time with some of my classes, uh, we would ride the train with our bicycles, put mm-hmm. the bicycles on the train in downtown Nashville and ride the train out to Lebanon, and then we'd ride back to Nashville on our bicycles. we done Where that.
0: Where does the, where's the stop in downtown?
1: At the riverfront. First and Broadway. Oh. Go look at it sometime. First and Broadway. Yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. Yeah.
1: Go down there at about 4.30 and the train comes in and picks up passengers.
0: Maybe I'll do that this weekend. Yeah. And go out to Lebanon and come back. Yeah. It's that only like $5 really for a ticket. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: You know, you just pay there. There's a, a fare pay station right there. You just swipe your card, mm-hmm. get on the train. It's fun. Mm-hmm.
0: That's awesome. You know,
1: but we need to, you know, we need more of those things and we need to use more of the things that we have. Yeah. You know, so it's it's an awareness thing. It's a willingness to... Give up some of our conveniences Mm -hmm. and to get out of the mindset of me and my Mm -hmm. and care about others a little bit. I mean, ultimately, ultimately. That's what's going to save us as a country and as a world is we have to think communally. I mean we're gonna there, there there's lots of uh limited resources i mean we could talk today we could talk about food distribution problems we could talk about homelessness i mean all these are urban issues and national issues um and like the last point that I made in my comments to you um was local uh local problems should require local solutions mm-hmm. so if it's something that involves a neighborhood then we need to have uh, neighborhood association meetings. We have need to have neighborhood meetings uh, with uh, representatives from the government there and get feedback from the local residents mm-hmm. about that issue, whether it be affordable housing or whatever, transportation. Um, if it's a regional-wide issue like air quality mm-hmm. and like waste management and regional transit, then then we need to have regional solutions. You can't solve a regional problem with by a local, you know, uh, with a, with a local decision you have to involve the entire region but you know how many people in Murfreesboro really care about what happens in Nashville they should yeah but especially most if peop- they're
0: coming here to work yeah i Communi- talked
1: to most people in Smyrna or Murfreesboro or Franklin and yeah they're coming here to work but you know their attitude toward Nashville is well you know it's, it, you know what happens in Nashville doesn't uh, doesn't affect me mm-hmm. well that's the wrong mindset What happens in Nashville does affect you. This is part of a region, the Middle Tennessee region. It's not just Davidson County. It's 13 counties, you know, including all of the counties around Davidson. Yeah,
0: that make up Nashville?
1: That make up metropolitan statistical area of Nashville. Yeah, okay. See, see. Davidson County has about 689,000 people in it in Davidson. Mm -hmm. But you add up all the 13 counties around it, we're almost 2 million. So we have to think regionally, mm-hmm. because what happens in Nashville does affect the region, and what happens in the region affects Nashville. Right now, you heard about the, um, the landfill in Murfreesboro? No. Okay. I can't remember the name of it now, Middle middle something Landfill. It's just about filled. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do? Because most of Nashville's trash goes to that landfill, because our landfill in Bordeaux was filled up a long time ago. We used to have one in Bordeaux, but it's filled up a long time ago. So now most of Nashville's trash goes to Murfreesboro. And that one's getting filled up now. So, you know, what do we do with trash? I mean, that's yeah. a whole other issue. Oh, my God. I mean, so- The there- idea
0: of landfills freaks me out. Yeah. It scares me. Like, they just dig these giant holes in the ground and, and put all kinds of things in them. Yeah. It's so scary. So then that
1: gets in the issue of recycling. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we just need to think more globally and environmentally. I mean, have you seen the documentaries about all of the plastic waste that's filling up our oceans? I mean, no, it's.
0: No, I haven't brought myself to watch it.
1: I mean, it's horrible when yeah. it's, the wildlife is affected, it's killing fish and wildlife. I mean, you see some of the video of all the plastic bottles lined up along the Pacific coast and stuff. It's yeah. sickening. Yeah. I mean, so we've got lots of issues, and we just need to get our heads out of the sand and decide, hey, there's a better way forward. Mm-hmm. We can't just keep going. We can't just keep paving our landscape over with highways. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. We've reached the breaking point with that already. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the induced traffic thing, I love the metaphor for that. Uh, increasing uh, the miles of highways is like, uh, is like uh, trying to lose weight by loosening your belt. Trying, trying that to, incre- sense. Try trying that. to, trying to reduce congestion. Trying to reduce con- congestion by building more highways is like trying to lose weight by loosening your belt. That's yeah. about what it's like. That is funny. You can't lose weight by loosening your belt. You're just going to gain more weight, and that's yeah. what happens with increasing highways. It just creates more traffic. Yeah, totally. So those we only had, used to have four lanes going from here to Murfreesboro, and it was filled up. So then they built eight lanes, and now it's filled up. Yeah. So let's build 12 lanes, and it'll fill up. Yeah. They've, wow. done a, they've done a study. Those lanes that they build, they only stay vacant for about less than a year. Mm-hmm. And then they start filling up because you get new development that goes along with the new highway. Mm-hmm. More people start moving out there. They build more subdivisions. They build more stores. They build more malls. And they build more offices. And so pretty soon, there's just as so many people on that eight-lane interstate as there was in the four-lane.
0: Mm-hmm. Man. So. I mean... With all of that, though, I think I am—I'm hopeful for the growth of Nashville, in particular. I think, I—I I think I have a positive outlook on it.
1: Oh, I definitely have a positive outlook on it. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to have just a rosy-eyed po- positive uh, no, positive outlook. We got, we have to—it has to be nuanced with reality. Yeah. And that we need to keep our eyes on the prize, mm-hmm. and keep our nose to the grindstone, and solve the problems. Remember, back to the original thing, they're all good problems to have because they're problems related to growth. Yeah. Which is much better than problems related to decline, Mm -hmm. you know. Amen. So, (laughs) yeah, let's let's just keep working to make it better. Hopefully the new mayor and, you know, all of his or her, you know, um, constituents and the Metro Council will be able to work together Mm -hmm. and continue to solve the problems that we have. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, Don, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, you're welcome. This has been a, a real pleasure. Yeah, this was joy.
0: fantastic. Okay.
1: Well, all right. Well, we'll see you later.
0: Yeah. Bye, yeah. everyone. Bye.